all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center here with you this morning. And what a great morning it is. This is an excellent time for you to call in to Southern Remedy and talk to us this morning about any kind of questions that you might have about your health care issues. Sometimes those are questions that we receive on medications or new diagnoses, or maybe it's some symptoms that just haven't been worked out yet. We would love to hear from you this morning. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. You can also go to mpbonline.org and check out our previous programs. Maybe you missed a little bit of a conversation and wanted to go back and hear the entirety of it. You can do that on our website. Just search for Southern Remedy when you get there and check out our archive programs. Oh, I hope everybody's doing great. I tell you what, it is really good to hear uh, recommendations. Uh, Kevin and Farrell and I were just talking about this, recommendations to uh, – uh, to lessen some of our restrictions um, around COVID. So I'm sure everybody was aware of the most recent uh, recommendation that for vaccinated uh, individuals um, that they in, in a, uh, you know, indoor setting can unmask. And uh, it's uh, when I've been able to do that on a limited basis so far, still not in, since I've worked in a healthcare organization, we're not doing that uh, just for the protection of our of our patients, uh, but in other venues, it's been great to do that. Um, the key component of that, of course, is vaccination. So if you haven't been vaccinated, plenty of opportunity to do that through the Mississippi State Department of Health uh, website. We also have one on the UMMC uh, website. Plenty of places throughout the state to get vaccinated today. Um, really, we continually, I have people all the time ask me about the safety of the vaccines that are out there. Really have not seen any uh, major problems with those vaccinations. Um, and now we're, of course, nationwide up into the, you know, uh, uh, about a third of the country, basically. So you're over 100 million vaccinations, about 150 million vaccinations plus, um, and still are seeing really good data with both protection from 
the viral strains that are out there and minimal to uh, no side effects from those. So uh, that's great news. We uh, still want to encourage everybody else who's not vaccinated to do that. Um, unfortunately, what we're seeing in uh, the limited numbers of patients who have been admitted to the hospitals in the state, including UMMC, uh, especially in the ICU or younger individuals. So now we're starting to see 20s, 30s, and 40-year-olds uh, who come in uh, very sick uh, on the ventilator. Um, so we certainly don't want that in somebody. And some, some patients are very healthy going into that or no perceived medical problems. So still we want to protect everybody. Vaccination is right now the major push for that. So kudos to everybody that's, uh, that's a part of that effort and uh, continue to do those kinds of things. Uh, you know, we get lots of questions on Southern Remedy. Some of the hardest questions that we get are dermatologic questions, so things on the skin. Obviously, this, since this is a radio medium, I can't, uh, we can't, haven't quite perfected how we might do that to actually see those uh, over radio. So, you know, sometimes based on descriptions and how those rashes sort of come up, we're able to sort of tease out what it might be. But again, sort of cautious about making uh, you know, guesses on diagnoses over the over the radio like that. And then the other thing sometimes is is musculoskeletal problems, and there are some common things that are out there. Uh, one of the you know common things that we see are things like shoulder pain, uh, hip, ankle, foot pain, low back pain, and most of the time those are self limiting, particularly if there's no injury involved in that or even if it's a mild injury and heal on their own, there are some that are sort of a nuisance. And I saw a patient this week with a common complaint that I thought I'd share with you because it is, again, it's very common in people, but it's, uh, it can sort of sneak up on you. And it's something called plantar fasciitis. So plantar fasciitis is a condition that um, you can get for a number of reasons. It is generally, it presents as a really sharp pain on the bottom of your heel, not the back of your heel, but on the bottom of your heel. Most of the time on one foot, but it can be both feet. Um, people will say it hurts the most when I get out of bed and immediately put some pressure on it. Uh, so as soon as they get out of bed and start to bear weight on it or walk around in the mornings, that's when it hurts the most. And generally, it gets better throughout the day. So the more that they're up on their feet and walking around, it gets a little bit a uh, little bit better. But it's described as a very sharp pain. People have said it feels like somebody's sticking a knife in the bottom of my foot right over the heel. Uh, very localized there. Usually doesn't travel up the, the leg or, or down into the toes. And what's going on with that is the plantar fascia. Fascia is a... Um, is a collection of sort of uh, fibrous tissue that the body has to help support some things. And the arch in your foot is partially supported by that. It helps to sort of give you the spring in your step when you walk, uh, take some of those forces. If we didn't have that arch and, and people who have low arches or collapsed arches know this, that you have more pressure on those bones and the tissues in your feet. So it helps to absorb some of the, that shock. But you can have an overuse of that. Uh, it does occur more in people who are overweight or obese, uh, particularly if you've had a weight gain, and also with overuse injuries. So people who are on their feet a lot or they're running up, particularly on their toes and not used to that, um, or, or walking around, you can have it with high heels as well. 
that can all sort of contribute to that plantar fascia being inflamed right as it inserts on the heel. And generally, the, the treatment for this, so what I had told patients and told my patients this week is, yeah, I got some, some great good news and some bad news. The good news is this is not a debilitating condition from the standpoint of breaking down any kind of nerves or damaging bones or joints or anything like that. However, it is really painful, and it takes a while uh, to get better. And generally speaking, rest can help. So if you're doing a lot of other things where you're up on your feet or maybe you've increased your exercise, sometimes cutting back for about a week or two at the most, um, and will help that. Ice does help that to the, to the heel. A lot of people will take a styrofoam cup. They'll freeze some water in it, and then you can take that and help to sort of massage that area. And uh, the cooling effect is good to, to decrease the inflammation. If you don't have a contraindication from taking NSAIDs, things like Advil, uh, ibuprofen, you can take that on a limited basis for a, you know, for a few days to a week to see if it gets better. And then stretching exercises where you're actually stretching the toes back up towards your head. You can use a towel to do that if you loop it around your toes and the, the balls of your feet to sort of pull back. That can help too. So all those things can help. If, and uh, what I actually did uh, from, uh, um, uh, with my patient is to recommend physical therapy because it's always great to have somebody who's an expert in those kinds of things to show you that. Oftentimes, it only takes, particularly with something like plantar fasciitis, a couple of visits uh, before you can do some of those things at home and don't have to go back to it. And in a, a very small uh, number of cases, you'll have to you know, do something further than that uh, with an orthopedic specialist that can do some other things. But plantar fasciitis, that's the fancy name for it. Um, but that is a common complaint of a lot of people, and uh, I've had it myself. Uh, not fun to have, but uh, it can be treated, and most of the time it goes away. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to our first caller. Gail, I believe, is in Long Beach. Yes, sir. Uh, question. Does a compression fracture of the spine ever fully heal? Yeah, so compression fractures are a type of fracture of the bones where you actually lose some of that height. So if you think about the vertebral bones, which supports your back and the, the rest of your body, to sort of give it a rigid base to where you can move around, uh, they're basically, you know, they look like little round stacks of, of blocks, little round blocks that are stacked one on top of another. And if you if you have decreased bone mass in there or you have a trauma or you have what we call a loading trauma, you might jump down off of a height or you might uh, fall a certain way. And uh, if those bones are fragile and they're not as thick like osteoporosis, then you can have a fracture that doesn't look like it's it's a you know normally we think of fractures where the bones are sort of separated. Well, this is a compression fracture, uh, so it it decreases the height of those. So your question: Do those ever heal? Uh, there's a yes and no answer to that. They do heal from the standpoint of the body. Anytime you have a fracture, the body tries to repair that at that site. So any kind of damage, whether that's a compression fracture or whether it's a different type of fracture where a bone breaks, 
there are cells that are going to do something called remodeling to that. So they're going to lay down a matrix and lay down bone uh, to try to heal up that fractured site. So you do have, see that with compression fractures, but most of the time you don't regain that height. And the problem with that is it sort of puts pressure in different levels on the spine. Now, there are some pretty fancy new techniques that orthopedic surgeons can use. You may have heard about some injections that they can do in bone cement. Sometimes they work depending on the type of fracture you have. Uh, sometimes they don't. So you really have to talk to your orthopedic surgeon about that. The biggest thing you can do is to try to prevent them. Uh, but once you have it, you know, that's, that's a little bit harder to manage. Uh, but trying to do some things like making sure that your vitamin D levels are appropriate, you may need to take some supplementation for that, or and calcium intake needs to be sufficient, particularly in postmenopausal women. Uh, but also, uh, you know, things, uh, you know, sort of the, the things that you can take. So if you have really bad osteoporosis, there are some medicines that stimulate those cells, those osteoclasts and osteoblasts to work to lay down more bone to get it thicker or at least to uh, decrease the loss of bone over time. So they do heal a little bit, but you're probably not going to heal like they're not going to go back up to their, you know, their, their original height. Um, and you can have some long-term complications with that. So, Gail, I hope that did that answer your question. Uh, yes, it does. I was just wondering, you know, I initially, of course, had the nerve pain from the fracture, but now I get deep bone pain. And that's yep. why I was wondering, why am I getting this? Yeah, and, and the other thing would be to check if you're not already seeing a pain specialist because sometimes they can do some, some localized things around that area to figure out exactly what's causing the pain. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's a combination of imaging and, and actually, you know, having a very fine needle that goes in to help numb up to certain areas. Uh, but there's all kinds of different treatments that they can do um, to try to get you functioning back the way you need to function. Uh, that's the biggest goal. And then to, uh, you know, sort of minimize the other pain medications that you're having to, to take. So I would recommend that if you're at that point where you're having that pain, um, you know, make sure you're seeing a pain specialist and uh, having close follow-up with an orthopedic surgeon. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions that you might have about your health care issues. Got some great uh, questions so far. 
plenty of time for you to call in this hour. You can reach us at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. No, uh, Gail was just uh, asking about: Do things get better over time? We get that question a lot, and certainly that's what everybody wants. Um, however, with some diseases, it's not at that easy, particularly with some of the more chronic diseases that we have. And a chronic disease is, by definition, something that's not acute. It doesn't last for a certain period of time and then go away. It persists. And usually those persist at least for months to years, but it can be for your entire lifetime. Examples of these are things like hypertension, uh, coronary artery disease, diabetes, these are all conditions that usually, once you're diagnosed with it, it's not something that you don't have. There, there are a lot of misconceptions with that. Um, you know, one of them is uh, high blood pressure. Sometimes high blood pressure, people will think, well, it's treated now. It's gone away. And there may be some, you know, some uh, small amount of people that they've made a lot of changes in their life, particularly lifestyle changes, and their blood pressure has improved uh, with those um, and they're not being treated with the medication. Uh, however, if you remove all those healthy lifestyle things, some, most of the time that blood pressure will go back up. So for chronic diseases, make sure you're talking with your, your healthcare provider, with your physician, with uh, whoever's seeing you for your healthcare needs, and following those, those chronic conditions um, that you get some really good advice and ask questions before you stop any medication. So it's one thing to treat an ear infection with antibiotics. And for, uh, you know, once you complete those antibiotics, the ear infection is usually taken care of and it's not there anymore. Totally different situation if we're treating diabetes, if we're treating hypertension, if we're treating lots of different things like hypothyroidism, where we're having to replace those thyroid hormones. That's not something that you get back, you know, uh, later in time uh, down the road. But make sure you're asking those questions with your with your physician. You know, it's a great idea to say, uh, you know, how long am I going to live with this? How long am I going to have to take medication uh, for this? Uh, And again, there may be some situations. Again, if you change some things, I've had some patients that were on medications for their diabetes or blood pressure that were made some really dramatic changes in their exercise and diet patterns, uh, lost some weight, um, and uh, were able to come off of some of the medications or, in a few cases, all the medications. So you can do that, and I'm always encouraging people to do that. I love taking people off medications, but that needs to be a decision between you and your doctor about that and not something that's arbitrary uh, that you do. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Doctor Jimmy, if I could, I'd like to throw in a question here. Sure. Um, so you had mentioned earlier, kind of about minor aches and pains, and I know as I've gotten older, I sometimes have that where, uh, especially with me, it's a little bit of a stiff back in the morning. But I find that when I get up and walk around and do my normal activities throughout the day, that it kind of goes away. So I'm just curious. How worried should someone be as they grow older with the minor aches and pains? Yeah, and, the, and you know, pain is one of those things that's incredibly hard to, uh, to diagnose, to treat, to, to standardize how you do it from patient to patient because we all feel pain differently. We all know people that are like, you know what, I've never had a headache in my life. Um, and then there's others that are like, well, I've had a headache, you know, most months of the year or at least once or 
uh, quite often. So as far as ache, those sort of aches and, and pains, we will not divulge Kevin's real age on the program. Um, but it's Kevin Farrell, our producer. That's a perk of being the producer is you get to ask healthcare questions uh, for yourself or for theoretical people as well. Um, so those aches and pains that you get when you wake up and you, you know, or you do a lot if you're uh, active and you're out doing some things, yard work or, um, or, uh, you know, it's just some, some exercise on the weekends, you know, that's, that is expected to have some aches and pains along with that. Usually, the question I ask is, how long did it last and did it go away? And if it's going away with activity, that's a good sign usually. We mentioned plantar fasciitis earlier. That's usually a little bit more intensive pain that stays with you and may go away throughout the day. Um, there are some situations and questions that I would normally ask about uh, bone-type pain or joint pain. Uh, things like, is it swell up a lot? Uh, is it, does it take you a while to get going in the morning if it's more than about an hour or if it feels like you're just sort of, uh, in slow motion, those are all some things that I might want to do a more thorough physical exam or some lab tests to try to confirm, make sure it's not other things, but the usual, you get up, you got some aches and pains and, uh, you know, some days out of the week or the month, you might have those that's to be expected, uh, as you get older it's really about, okay, Doc, I've had this for more than two weeks. What's going on? Uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, it might be just some osteoarthritis, but it needs to at least to be checked out. Um, you know, there are common places to have aches and pains. The, the thumb joint where it attaches to your wrist, to your hand, uh, that is one of the most common places to have uh, arthritis, early arthritis, just because we use it so much, particularly in our dominant hand. And if you do have uh, activities that you do on a daily basis, if your job entails um, entails construction or you're doing a lot of um, um, you know repetitive things with with those joints, then you can have um, you can have some arthritis changes over time. But as long as it goes away and it's manageable, the other thing about pain is. It's really, you know, we, we really got fixated as a medical profession on alleviating pain to the point where we had some unrealistic claims, like we'll take care of all your pain, we'll take it away. And part of the reason that we have a lot of the problems with, um, with opioid overuse and abuse is because uh, that is what we targeted. We targeted the total absence of pain. Uh, it's a great book by a physician called um, the, uh, the gift of pain, that pain is actually something that the body uses to tell us to stop doing something or to remove ourselves from something, but it's there for a reason. And in treating pain, particularly in pain specialties, uh, they will tell you that really the goal is for you to get back to the point where you can regain some of the function that you're losing from pain. If pain, in other words, if pain is interfering and we try to make these goals with our patients as clear as possible uh, for the 70 year old grandfather who's having pain. You know, what do you want to be able to do? I want to be able to go out to my shop. I want to make some stuff. I want to spend time with fishing with my grandkids. I want to take some walks with my wife and uh, enjoy, uh, you know, enjoy the time that I have. Those are some really tangible goals. And that's what we should concentrate on. You may have pain through those things, but is it tolerable to the point where you can still do that? Because it's really unrealistic to totally remove all pain. I know 
certainly we have lots of examples of that. Um, but pain is, is with us as long as we're living. And some of those little aches and pains are usually not a big deal. But, um, but if it does persist, you want to check with your physician and they may want to get some further tests or have you see a specialist on that. Great question, Kevin, as always. Um, the number to call today if you have any questions about your healthcare problems, doesn't have to be pain, it could be just a curiosity or a question about something of your own or somebody who's in your family. The number to call is 1 877 MPB Ring. That's 1 877 672 7464. You can always send those emails to remedy at mpbonline.org. We do read those and try to respond to those individually. And then from time to time, share those with our listening audience, particularly if, uh, well, if, if you give us permission, but in particular, if we feel that it's uh, applicable to, the, to our listeners at large. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. The number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Mikey from Mobile, Alabama. Good morning, Mikey. What's your question today? Thank you so much, Dr. Stewart. I appreciate you taking my questions here. Um, uh, pain. Chronic pain from um, injury over half a lifetime ago. Uh, I I just wished my brother a happy birthday a couple of days ago, and I said, "Go ahead and say you're a sexagenarian as long as you can and enjoy that." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> something to be because, celebrated for sure. You're right. Uh, but uh, but you know, it's like I mean, there's something to be celebrated about being a septuagenarian, other than you know, it's like septic tank and you know, septic, yeah, you know, whatever, <laughs> all those things. Um, it's a fun. It's a fun word to say. <laughs> Well, I mean, and there's octogenarian and nanogenarian, and, you know, if you're really lucky, what, yeah, you know. But uh, anyway, my question is, yes, I am um, of the age where uh, even without the injuries, and they were substantial, um, the most apparent one was apparently, as far as I can tell, the transverse crack in the C7 mm. in the spinal column. Um over half of my um, lifetime ago, but um, look, I I can't quit working, 
I mean, I, I've got to, you know, it's like I'm looking at the yeah. yard, I'm looking at the house, I'm looking at, you know, stuff that has to be done. And my problem has been lately that trying to sleep, I don't have pain all the time. But when I do, sometimes it's so substantial that I cannot sleep through it. Now, yeah. melatonin has helped a bit. Um, and uh, I've got a rice sock. I've got a lentil sock. i got, you know, it's like, um, are there any other? I don't want to live as an, an, an opioid addict. Right. Well, I, I think when you talk about chronic pain, there are some situations where you, you've done everything that you can to try to, you know, to mitigate that so you can continue doing what you need to do. And, I, you know, we, I talked, we talked about some other goals, and you mentioned some, but you have to sleep, right? That's a necessity. In order to do, you know, what you need to do, getting uh, good quality sleep is important, and it can affect if you don't do that. Uh, if you don't get it, it can affect all kinds of other things. So I, I hear you. I, I think there are some things that if you haven't tried, some medications help better with chronic pain uh, that aren't opioids too. It's I've you know there's certainly if you if you have uh, if you take something every once in a while for breakthrough pain, that's much better than taking opioids all the time. And then particularly at night, um, there are several medications that work for some people, um, things like Lyrica and Gabapentin, particularly taking at night. Uh, they have a nice side effect of making you sleepy, but they're really treating the chronic pain. Um, they work a little bit better with neuropathic pain than they do for other types of pains, but, um, but I've known people who had pure you know, osteoarthritis type pain without any kind of neuropathic neuropathic component that did really well in gabapentin. Um, and then another one that's uh, fairly new, it's not been used that long, a uh, few years, is Cymbalta or Duloxetine. So that is a, um, it was initially marketed for depression and anxiety, but what they found is it does have some uh, positive um, implications for treating chronic pain of really any kind of any kind of source. So, those are three medications right off the top of my head that I can think about. And then, you know, in discussions with your physician, you might want to say, you know, can I take uh, an opioid medication every once in a while to sleep? You mentioned melatonin. Melatonin will help you get to sleep. But it doesn't do much for that pain component. So. You're really trying to trick the body's natural system into initiating that sleep, but you might still have some sleep fragmentation throughout the night just because when the pain threshold gets high enough, it'll wake you up, uh, and it'll do that right through melatonin. Um, so I would, I would try, if you haven't, I mean, you may have already done these things, uh, try those, those medications first just to just to sort of you know delve into that to see if you can make an impact on the the pain to the point where you can get that good quality sleep because that would be your goal in this in this instance and then of course to be able to continue to do the things that you that you love doing well uh, gone are the days that we advocate that people just you know stay in bed all the time and those kinds of things we've we know now that that can actually uh, you'll have a worse outcome if you do that over time you really need to stay as active as you can. Um, and then making sure that you're aware of any type of pain that's out of the ordinary of that chronic pain that pops up. So that would be my recommendations to you, Mikey. And, uh, 
um, in getting to those harder words to say as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> Thank oh. you so much, Dr. Stewart. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Thanks for calling. Let's go to J.D. from Wilmer, Alabama. Good morning. Oh, sorry. I think we lost J.D. No, Jackie from Waynesboro. Jackie from Waynesboro. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Good to hear from you. Listen, this may be a little off the subject, but I, this just came to my attention this morning. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with COVID yesterday, and she's going for a lung x-ray today. She's not really in bad shape at all, but they said that she qualified for this, uh, what they call BAM infusion therapy. It's it's a long name, but it's abbreviated B-A-M. I was wanting to know what your, ther- what your uh, input was on that, what your opinion was on that, if you had one. I had never heard yeah. of it before. Yeah. So, so what there? Yeah. So, there's different things that you can do, particularly early on, to try to mitigate some of the the com, you know, the uh, um, the more the more serious effects of COVID. So, there's and you know, thankfully, we really jumped on this pretty uh, pretty uh, quickly. You know, a lot of people have said all kinds of things. Some people called in and asked questions about all kinds of medications that were not studied before they were they were tried and um, and particularly for those who were uh, you know sort of early in their disease process but there have been a lot of studies looking at different things so uh, what I believe you're referring to is uh, more of a monoclonal antibody therapy um, so there is uh, there is a combination and uh, uh, I had to look it up to make sure that I'm actually pronouncing it correctly. So it's BAM is a much better way to say it because it's BAMlanivimab slash edisivimab. So it is a combination of monoclonal antibodies. Monoclonal antibodies are um, uh, manufactured antibodies against something else. And in this case, it is a, it's targeted for those patients to be treated um, who are a little bit at risk and who qualify for uh, to treat COVID early enough if they meet the criteria so that you sort of halt it in this track. So I've sent patients for this. I've had patients that got that. It is, you know, it's, it's the FDA has given some emergency use authorization for that. Uh, there's another one that's out there that uh, 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 Kazarivimab, uh, which is uh, also a combination uh, monoclonal antibody therapy. Usually people tolerate this really, really well. I think if they, if they meet qualifications, you know, if I got COVID and I met qualifications, I would get it. I would, you know, let my family members get it. Um, so I, I would suggest you do that. And here's why, even in people who are fairly healthy going into it, you just cannot predict with this virus. And we've all heard stories of people either in our families or in other you know, situations where they were doing just fine, didn't have any comorbidities. We do know that the older you are and the more chronic um, chronic uh, medical conditions that you have, that um, you're more at risk. But even for people who are asymptomatic, particularly right now with what we're seeing in the hospital, uh, it, even if you don't have any medical problems, if you can get that combination, I would say get it because it's one of the few things that showed a decrease in the disease course. This is the same. Uh, this is similar to what uh, to what President Trump got early on when he went into the hospital was the monoclonal antibody therapy. But that's what that is. 
Yes, okay. And uh, it, the reason and I asked and it's also it's also something that we've been given for other things. Uh, there's a monoclonal antibody therapy for certain types of respiratory viruses in children uh, that we give to prevent them from getting that, the, those who are at risk. So it's not the type of therapy, you know, it sounds like this is space age and 400 years in the future. Uh, it's actually been around for a good time. It's just that we've got a lot more of these that are targeted towards certain things. And I'm sorry, Jackie, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, it's okay. The reason I ask, it was such a new thing to me, and I call myself being informed. I listen every day. I look to listen to Dr. Fauci, and and I, I, and this was the first time I'd ever heard of that was this morning. I said, well, I don't know. Let me check it out. And she said, Mama, call your radio show. They'll know. So <laughs> that's yeah, what I'm doing. Yeah. So I appreciate yeah. it, Dr., uh, Dr. Stewart, and I'll pass this along to her. Thank you so much. All right, Jackie. Thank you for calling. All right, now we're going to go to William in Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning, William. Thank you for oh, calling. Good morning. Oh, no problem. I had a uh, few quick questions about blood pressure. Um, uh-huh. I'm a younger indi- I'm a younger individual. I'm in my 20s. Um, I'm very overweight, but I'm also in the process of reversing that. <laughs> um, and uh, one thing that sort of plagued me even as I have been losing weight uh, and becoming more active, is high blood pressure. Uh, My systolic is always uh, uh, between 130 to 150, but my diastolic is always 80, no matter what. Um, And I seem to have respond badly to uh, non-stimulant ADHD medications uh, that shouldn't raise your blood pressure necessarily, but they do mine. Um, I don't know how much of that is psychological, but, um, it's blood, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a problem that I am trying to nip in the bud currently with, uh, medication, but I was, I was wanting to see, get your opinion as to possible causes, why it would be like that. Why, why would I respond with high blood pressure to certain medications and, uh, and why my, uh, diastolic would always be 80 like that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, for you, for the goal, uh, you know, without any kind of other medical problems, the goal blood pressure would probably be less than 130 on the top and 80 on the bottom. Now, that's not to say that it needs to be that way all the time. That's just that the majority of the time it needs to be less than that to decrease your risk of things like heart disease, chronic kidney disease and stroke. Um, now, uh, certainly it sounds like you're taking a a uh, you know, a, a broad view of, of how you should treat it with both medications and, uh, lifestyle. But it, you know, blood pressure is one of those things that is affected by so many other components. So if you start messing with things that, um, you know, if you, if you start treating or you're experiencing some things that are causing different degrees of stress, or at least how you, um, how you react to that stress, uh, if things are, if your sleep patterns are being uh, changed or impacted by different things, all kinds of different things can affect your blood pressure and not just that acute blood pressure. You know, I saw a patient yesterday uh, in clinic and every time he comes to clinic, his blood pressure is elevated. His home blood pressures are actually fairly well controlled, but he, you know, when I see him in clinic, they're, they're elevated and he has what we call white coat hypertension. Um, 
But um, I suspect, and, you know, you did bring up, you know, it may be something that is an association that's not directly caused by that medication, but it might be, you know, just how it's affecting everything else in your body. And I've, I've seen this with lots of different medications, not just ADD medications. And you're right, the stimulants, particularly in higher doses, will sometimes elevate blood pressure. But I've also seen, and I'm guessing that's probably atomoxetin or, or uh, uh, stratera. Uh, you know, it's I've seen that a couple of times in stratera. And usually, you got two choices. You can either treat through that with the blood pressure. So you treat the blood pressure and you stay on the medication if it's having a good effect from the ADD standpoint, or you try a different ADD medication. Um, I have plenty of patients that are adolescents who are on ADD medications and have high blood pressure. And, you know, we just make that choice about what's important. If they are having a really good outcome with the treatment of their ADD through behavioral modifications and, uh, and, uh, you know, study habits and, and different uh, modalities that you can do in the classroom that aren't medication related. That's important for ADD, uh, also for work for adults, um, but also with medications. So, uh, you just have to sort of balance that out. So I would say, you know, if it, it, there's not really a good explanation for why in some people it affects them more than others, uh, because so many different things impact our, our blood pressure from moment to moment. And, and it does, you know, vary throughout the day. Blood pressure goes down about 10% at night while we sleep and then rises throughout the day to peak sometime in the afternoon for most people. Um, you know, people who have shift work changes, they sometimes will have disruptions in that normal diurnal pattern of blood pressure. But I would say, William, that, I, you know, I would try to continue to do those lifestyle things that you're doing to try to lose that weight. You may be able to back off the blood pressure medications a little bit, but if that, if that ADD medication is, is working for you, you may have to just treat the blood pressure with medication for right now uh, while you're working on those other things. That would be my recommendations. Um, that's, that is about what I expected. I, I appreciate it. And uh, one more quick question. Um, I, sure. Despite, despite my weight, I'm very active, uh, both professionally and um, in my professional life and personal life. I'm always out in the woods. I'm always camping, hiking, um, you know, doing strenuous work. Um, and when I am working hard, especially in the Mississippi heat, um, you know, I can I can feel my blood pressure get symptomatic. You know, I can feel the throbbing and the uh, headaches and um on top of just being generally tired, you know, um, is it, is that, is there a point where that can get dangerous for someone with high blood pressure, uh, to be, to exert themselves pretty hard physically? Um, cause especially it, when I, when you do what I do, where you're deep into the wilderness, uh, quite a bit. Sure. So sure. I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and that's a, that's a common question I get to you with my patients with high blood pressure. So, um, you, you look at the total risk. I mean, cause it's not necessarily the blood pressure. If the blood pressure is controlled, it can go up a little bit, you know, usually 140, 150 as an acute rise in blood pressure from say a blood pressure of 120 to 130, that's not going to be a big deal. Um, or a diastolic rise from 80 to 90. If it stays mm-hmm. at that level though, particularly when you're younger for lower, longer periods of time, that can be the biggest risk. Um, 
So it's not really a magic number that we have where we say, okay, if your blood pressure gets over 160 or 170, then that's the danger point. Um, it's really about what acute damage is being done right then in that moment. So if you tell me, okay, I have these headaches, but I also had chest pain when I'm doing this, or I have a headache with numbness in my arm or blurry vision, then I would be more concerned and want to do some testing. If you, if you, you know, are worried about it, you might want to see your physician or even a cardiologist that can check you out and just put you through some stress testing to see, you know, if they can reproduce some of those, maybe on a treadmill or that kind of thing. And if you, if everything looks okay, then you can, you know, you can sort of be a little bit reassured that that's not a, not a big problem. But being young doesn't insulate you from some of those early effects of cardiovascular disease. So I would be, mm-hmm. I, I always listen to subtle, you know, symptoms like that and try to, to make sure I can tease them out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly common to do that, even in people who aren't hypertensive, you know, particularly if you get dehydrated. That would be the biggest thing I would say is drink plenty of water while you're out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if, if I were to see a cardiologist, they would look at the entire vascular system, not just the heart. It, the, the entire vascular system, is, is that correct? The heart, yeah, the heart's the main one. But if they hear anything else about arterial insufficiency, say, in your legs um, or to your kidneys, then they may want to do some further testing to, to sort of identify that, too. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, taking your calls about questions you might have about your health care issues. Great uh, program today so far, mainly because of all the questions that you have called in with. We're going to go to Debbie from Daphne. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> Can hear you perfectly. Hello? Thank you for calling. Okay. Yes, sir. I'm I'm almost 65. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I don't have a lot of issues. I do take a Cinepril 20-25 and a Simvastatin 20. Um, if, or if I was to take Osteobiflex, would that be any kind of conflict with those medicines? No, it, sh- it shouldn't be. Um, now, uh, yeah, so you're on uh, blood pressure medication and a cholesterol medication to help, you know, prevent those those uh, downstream sort of uh, risk factors for, for heart attack, stroke, those kinds of things. But, yeah, so it's a great question to ask, though. And some, some uh, 
medications and uh, vitamins or supplements can interfere with the absorption of medications. So I would be very careful about the timing of that. If you can take that lisinopril and simvastatin at night, um, which there's more and more evidence that uh, both of those are more effective at night, actually, if you can take those at night and then the osteobiflex in the morning, uh, that would lessen that. Now, things that have a lot of calcium in them can sometimes bind up medications in the stomach and in the gut, and you won't absorb as much of that. So that would be the only thing I could think of. But even delaying it 30 minutes would make a big impact in it. So it's, you know, if you can delay it at least 30 minutes between taking those, that's the only thing I can think of that might interfere with those. I currently take the lisinopril in the morning and the simvastatin at night. So you're saying take the blood pressure in the, at night now. It's better. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you can do that and just see if your blood pressure changes dramatically, then uh, you can switch back to the morning. But I would do that okay. just to see if it's, you know, if it's, if it's okay. That's, again, we're, we're advocating more and more. There's, there's a lot of data to suggest that maybe nighttime medications, particularly as you get older, uh, would have a better effect. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.